0: For the song sheets up here. Am must supposed to sing this morning, or what? Huh? You dare me? Yeah. <laughs> Swing low, sweet chariot. <laughs> no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well. There are a couple of other community announcements. retrade or doing a Christmas grocery parcels deal for the end of the year. So if you want to encourage p- people to participate in it, uh, classmates, house churches, whatever, <coughs> that information is in the foyer as well. And then, uh, yeah, I think uh, Gavin did you announce announcement. Uh, we're going to watch the final on Saturday night. Up to me. Well if you have a prophetic, what's the outcome of Saturday night's game coming up? Anybody have any idea? Should we uh, respond to prophecy or <laughs> yeah. We thought we would uh sing it's the final. We'll show it again in the in the in the foyer. Anybody who'd like to come and watch the final on Saturday night uh lounge. Well that's what I mean. I mean the other foyer. <laughs> you must listen to what I mean, not what I say, brother. Anyway, so yeah, it's the the lounge on saturday night nine o'clock so come come early bring a sandwich or something like that Some and then um <coughs> oh, yeah, i also sh- thought i should just say um once a quarter i meet with all those that are working with the word preachers and wannabe preachers and not just as preach here but preach in other places as well so um it happens to be this afternoon from four to six at four to five thirty and uh, so you're welcome if you are just interested in that just like to come and listen in it's a theological discussion. We hone the preaching factors, but we also dig into some theological issues to help the church stay committed to core truth. So that's at four o'clock this afternoon. Just let us know if you'd like to come. It'll be over in the Willow Room on the other side. <coughs> I must say, it's nice to have Tendai and Karen here, you know, all that from Graham's so and Makanda. Hey, why don't you go stand up for a moment? We, we don't often get a chance to. This is Tendai and Karen. They lead a church in Makanda. <laughs> Great to have you with us there. Um, I'd love us to pray for you. Can we do that? Let's reach out and just uh, bless this couple. <coughs> Lord, thank you for the faithfulness that you have empowered Tendai and Karen to exercise in, in Makanda. And the many lives that have been touched and changed and healed f- from you, Lord, through them. And we pray for a, a, a fresh season of encouragement, of breakthrough, of uh, the miraculous becoming more normal for them. Pray that you would empower them with resilience and with faith levels that are far exceeding anything they have ever known before. And we just declare that over you. We declare that God's purpose is for you to move in even greater faith than you have. And to, to live by that which you do not see. But you have confidence that his love will effect it. So we bless you, tender and Karen, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys, eh? And your church. <coughs> Um, we've been, uh, we've been uh, in a world that has been in so much pain over the last number of years, hasn't it? Eh? Confusions and pain and news and fake news and all kinds of stuff that went around the, the uh, mysteries and intrigues of COVID and, what do you say? <laughs> is it is that better? There we go. Okay. Um, and our world has been in lots of pain, and there's been lots of confusion around. We've just been doing a series a uh, couple weeks um, on discernment and ethics, helping us to be people that pursue truth and, and embrace it in our in our lives. And we've had a great three great inputs from uh, Karen, uh, Maria, Maria, and and Hannah. And I'm just gonna. Speaking of that one more time today uh, from my side of it as well. But I'm so conscious of the pain the world has been in hey? and, and is in today with wars and uh, diseases. And I was recently up in Kathmandu with Colleen up in Nepal and just seeing the devastation from the earthquake just a couple of years ago. Half the city was wiped out. There's it just been so many things, hey? so many things. And at a personal level too, how many of you have experienced a, a precious season over the last couple of years, eh? and this year in particular, 2023, been very, very precious. So many scenarios, um, and uh, we we often find ourselves on suicide watch over people in deep despair, and and this is this is reminding us of our great, great need for the gospel in our lives. So I would like to jump in on that this morning and before I even do that to say we we need therefore to be led by a people (coughs) that have a heart for God because we're not ashamed of the gospel it is the power of God unto salvation so we want leaders that understand embrace and are committed to the gospel to the point of loving not their own lives even unto death Um, so just to tell you we are in a season where every October November we we pray around our leadership as a church as an eldership and, who, who, and we ask the question, who's got on to lead again for the next year? So we refresh it every year. Some stay on for five or ten years. Some just do a year. Um, so I just want to prime you about that and invite your prayer. Um, and uh, we, this year, we, we uh, shrunk the eldership down from about 20 to about 14, I think, or something, 12. Um, and just to remind you who they are, uh, Connie and myself are on the eldership, obviously, Gavin and Karen, Shelley and, and Kelvin. Uh, Cameron and Colleen, Darren and Leanne, and then Val is on, and Rob Rob Harris is on, but he is about to go off to Texas. Uh, He'll be standing down uh, when he leaves for Texas in a couple of weeks. and we are consulting with a couple of other people. It's still very much in the making and in the processing um, of potential people. I've been having many conversations, prayer moments with different people. I'd just love you to be in prayer about that. But one of those people that has already indicated a willingness to step up to it is Lyle and Tash over here. So we want to welcome them into the loop. you brave, eh? <laughs> oh, you don't know what you're in for, brother. <laughs> Uh, And there are quite a few others that we are consulting as well. So we'll expand the team because the the needs are are expanding and we need to make sure we've got a leadership that can carry that. But we also want people who lead, who uh, embody where we think the church needs to be going because people become what the leaders are. So it's very important. They catch the spirit and are influenced by the ethics and and values and theology that the leaders carry. So that's quite important uh, for us to be figuring it out. I also want to say that We've got some people that have done their time in church leadership, but, but still have a reservoir of huge wisdom. And like Keith and Janice over there, and Susan—see, Susan Wages? Susan, right there. Why do the three of you just stand from it? These are three sages. I would call them sages in the life of the church. Come on, Susan, give them a hand we appreciate, they're the kind of people you can just drop by and say, can I bounce something with you and and, and exercise a consultative role towards us without uh, being, uh, I mean, Keith, we walked a road together, I knew him when Janice was only 17, can you believe that, eh? I think I knew her before he even did, and, uh, and I had to hold him back, you know, <laughs> anyway, we walked a long, long road together, and it's so lovely to have friendships that that go the distance like that, so we're very grateful for that, but there are a number of other people that have been approached, and are being approached, and and, uh, are thinking about it, Uh, so we we just invite you to be prayerful over the next next, uh, few weeks, we'll announce some more names, and uh, finally settle on it, um, hopefully later in November, um, and be able to move forward, so just to invite your prayers around that, that'll be good. Did you guys bring Bibles this morning? Get them out, man. Get them out. Let's have a look here. A couple of things we want to be digging into, especially, um, and uh, I'd like to take us straight to uh, Hebrews chapter five. um, What a great book. Uh, Hebrews is such an authentic book. I was chatting to Derek Morphe this week on the phone. Derek is uh, one of the leading theologians in the Vineyard Movement, lives in Cape Town. We've been friends for, I don't know, 35 years. And uh, we often sit and talk together about things. And, and he was just saying, he, he's so excited about the book of Hebrews. And the other mutual friend of ours is a guy called Michael Eaton, somebody you might know from Crisco Fellowship in Nairobi. And he wrote a doctoral thesis on a theology of encouragement, which is basically an exposition of the book of Hebrews. Very, very solid stuff. And uh, I've often found myself digging into that. And, and Hebrews is a, is a book defining um, this uh, was called to be the people of God, separate from all the laws and regulations and things that pertain to the, the mosaic season, but uh, to be a people that are centered in the gospel of Jesus. Because Hebrews 1, 3 says that Christ is the exact representation of God. Everything you want to know about God is in Christ. You can see it in him. I mean, he is, he is the exact representation. So that's such a powerful thing. But Hebrews 5, verse 11 through through 14 says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. I mean, when your teacher tells you that, you've got to sit up and say, well, what don't I know? Well, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And we are living in a time when the evil one is abounding in accusations and uh, offenses uh, and uh, wanting to continuously bring division. So it's no wonder that Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John 17 decided to settle in on one particular request to the Father, that they may be one, even as I and you are one, says Jesus in that prayer, John 17. And um, he knew that the devil's primary thing was to divide, as the Roman generals used to say, divide to conquer. And that's what he tries to do. Constantly saying division, accusation, condemnation, uh, and he does it by the, the weapons of offense. And throughout um, church history, we've seen uh, atrocities happened right down from the Crusades, and I was reading uh, various life stories of people that uh, gave their lives in the quest to make truth available to common man because the Bible was kept in Latin, in the Latin Vulgate version, for years and years and years so that uh, the control of the people and their finances could be in the hands of the church. And it was a very tragic thing, and as a result, when uh, Reformers rose up and began the process of, of translating Scripture. One by one, they were persecuted, martyred. Uh, John Huss was burnt at the stake, singing hymns while he was burning. Uh, William Tyndale, likewise. Uh, in fact, when they burnt him, the fire couldn't, fire couldn't consume him. They eventually had to stab him to death. Uh, And these are people that are praising God and refusing to recant and to pull back from the translation of the Bible, simply of the Bible, into the vernacular. Um, And uh, I was was just reading uh, recently about a a girl called Anne Eskew, uh, who was married to a Roman Catholic man who um, uh, joined the opposition to her and actually chased her away when she declared uh, on just one particular point of doctrine, because she learned to love the Word of God, she declared that uh, when we have the communion, the elements, it's, uh, it's a matter of consubstantiation, uh, not transubstantiation. As God is with us in the elements, but he's not the elements. And the Catholics have a different view. They say he, he is the bread, he is the wine, and it has a very significant um, Impact for us. You might not realize it, but if you think along the lines of transubstantiation that the bread and the wine becomes God, in that moment you're becoming sacramental in your faith rather than relational. It's always about relationship, it's not about some kind of spooky thing where you can control it. And uh, uh, I remember being years ago in one of the churches where I found out that they actually interview the members to check their, their morality of the week before, before they'll issue a ticket to come to the table. Uh, because this is a very sacred, sacramental thing. And while we do believe in sacraments, we believe in the communion and we believe in, in baptism, for example, and sacrament of marriage and many things that we do, but they are meant to be expressions of relationship with God and never meant to be in some kind of um, superstitious uh, concept. It's meant to be a, an engagement with God. Uh, and uh, when Anne Eskew, she, she, she declared her opposition to that and she had to flee um, because they were chasing her down. And she went and went on to, in, in London, and became, a, became at the age of 26 a street, a street preacher. And she preached yeah. on the streets, and they arrested her. She escaped, uh, and they arrested her again. And then they put on the rack, and they broke every joint they could in her body. But she refused to give up the truth that she was holding on to, that the gospel calls us a relation with God. And it's not about a sacramental faith. It's about really knowing him. And uh, eventually they, they, they tried to burn her, And they tried to to, to burn her so slowly that she would have to recant, and she refused. I just have been so inspired by the tenacity of believers who've seen the truth. They're not just following the party line. They've seen something, and they're holding on to it no matter what. Such an inspiration. I'm also shocked by um, the the story of of, uh, uh, Michael Savitas, who was um, also killed. Um, at the instructions of John Calvin, a great reformer, because he disagreed with him on the point of doctrine pertaining to who God really is in terms of the Trinity. And just a point of doctrine divergence caused such animosity that he ordered him to be killed. You might be glad to know we don't do that in this church. <laughs> we don't. Well, not physically. But we might throw words over each other. And how many of you know that it's not true to say the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Eh? Words hurt. And sometimes we kill each other with words, with a look, with avoidance, with prejudice, all kinds of things. And Hebrews 5.14 is telling us that solid food is for the mature. How do we get to being that person, that mature person? By constant use, not just sporadic but on constant use and on every issue that comes your way. Constant use. Training yourself. So take responsibility for this. Don't just find out what the party line is. To distinguish good from evil. So one of the big challenges that our world is living in right now is the, the whole issue in the Middle East. So let me just take a couple of moments to, to address some of the, uh, I, think, I think some of the, the, the best guidelines I can think of and speaking with um, other Vineyard leaders, this is how we would advise. And this is not an in-depth view of the whole thing that could take, as you know, weeks and weeks of discussion and process. But there are some things on the 7th of October early morning when Hamas launched an attack on on Israel and killed lots and lots of people and provoked a return attack that is still to this day ongoing from Israel to Hamas and to the whole Gaza area and also in the West Bank. Um, And there's such a, a diverse set of viewpoints on all this. I was very encouraged to hear the testimony of the son of one of the key Hamas leaders by the name of Masab Hassan Yusuf, who, uh, if, you re- if you hear his story, told in a, in a Baptist gathering uh, of uh, his f- turning to Christ and discovering the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus and the fallacies of, of Islam, which doesn't serve a true living God at all. Uh, the only God. The only true living God he is the Father that we call our Heavenly Father, Father of Jesus, who empowers us by His Spirit to perceive and to search, search our truth. And uh, He found us out and switched sides. And um, in the process of which He realized that His Father's life would always be in danger, being as He was, a brain, the brains behind much of the Hamas uh, opposition, Palestinian opposition to Israel, um, He actually reported His Father had Him imprisoned in order to save his life, as he put it in his own testimony. His father didn't believe that, didn't see it in the same way. And about a couple of months back, um, actually disowned him, completely disowning of him. And this is the price he paid for the truth he now held. And uh, I think it's about a, a year to go, and uh, the father will be released from prison, slow live, obviously, uh, So we we are very conscious that we're working with principalities and powers, as Ephesians six reminds us. eh? principalities and powers that are operating in all these things. So we need to have some sanity and guidance. So I'd like to give you five guidelines that'll um, help us in this quest to know how should we respond to this time. And then I'd like to dig into a couple other things that are important for us to think about at this time. So five guidelines. First one is that uh, we we decry the the evil of violence. The Violence is just atrocious. We really don't need that. And whether, whether it's physical violence or systemic violence, both sides are atrocious. Um, and one will provoke another. So join me in taking a stand for the Prince of Peace. Because um, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's the growth of that. There will be no end, says uh, Isaiah. So we do decry violence. We want to encourage people to, to dumb that down. We do not want to just become a world that resorts purely to violence. Second thing I'd like to say um, is that we do need to recognize that Israel uh, has a right to exist as a people group. They have a right to exist. And that right should be exercised with as much political astuteness and humanitarian consideration as possible. But they have a right to exist. And the world began to see that after the Second World War with the, the Holocaust, when their right to exist was, was being challenged um, and six million plus of them were killed. Um, so, so can we just affirm that? There, I've got pages and pages of, of evidences that'll support these various viewpoints, but I want to keep it to, to a crisp point and just say we could, you could look at that any way you want to, but they do, just like the Malawians have a right to exist, the Zambians have a right to exist, South Africa, the English have a right to exist, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so, eh? Amen. Yeah. Well, enough. Enough. Second thing, third thing I'd like to say, <clears throat> the Palestinians have a right to exist. And either one that calls for the eradication of the other <clears throat> is practicing evil. Because the, the Bible says that in the end, We'll we'll all come to to the throne from every tribe, nation and tongue. You know, as the nations and our tribes and and nationalities are not eradicated. We come with our diversity to be celebrated before the the Lamb and His throne. So we, we recognize that the gospel doesn't eradicate our ethnicities, but it helps us to celebrate them and affirm them. Under The uh, scrutiny of the kingdom of God where anything in our ethnicity and our cultural practices is violating the the values of God's kingdom we will adjust that because we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness but this does mean that Palestinians have a right to exist (coughs) and for them to be claiming that the Israelis have no right to exist and for some Israelis and these are obviously the extreme sides of the extreme Zionists on the one hand extreme Palestinians on the other hand would want to decry this right to exist and both are wrong the fourth thing I'd like to say is that the, the answer to the dilemma, and I'm not speaking as a politician, you're know, speaking as a, as a Christian and as a spiritual leader, the gospel has the answer. I don't know that we're find, you'll find some mediation towards help in the political sphere, but the gospel should influence, influence us to seek that. And <clears throat> the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Can I just take you to, just, there are so many places in Scripture that will speak of that, If you'll go with me to to Galatians chapter 3, what a great statement from Paul, um, who was a radical Zionist, and Galatians chapter 3, just uh, verse 26, he says, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. (coughs) For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So, in other words, your Jewness, your Greekness, your slaveness, your freedom, your maleness, your femaleness, none of these are defining in an ultimate sense and excluding in any way. You're all one in Christ. As we say, the ground at the cross is level. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, let's just swing back to Romans chapter uh, chapter 11. And I, I love this. Uh, Romans 9 through 11 are three chapters dealing with the place of the Jewish people in the context of the New Testament, of a covenant of, of grace. And we'll just pick up in chapter 11 of that three-chapter section of the Scriptures that Paul was writing about. And Romans chapter 11, verse 11. <clears throat> Again, I'll ask you, he says, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? You know, is, is there any hope for the Jewish people? He says, not at all. Rather, because of the transgression, the transgression of rejecting the gospel, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. No, you, you, you only get envious of someone who's got a better deal than you. So the point here is that the Christians should be living in such a way that will make the Jewish people envious of the gospel we've got and the God whom we love and know. They're not to be hated. They need to be inspired and drawn, not anti-Semitically whipped and killed. But if their transgression, verse 12, means riches for the world, you know, because of their rejection, their transgression of rejecting the gospel and rejecting Christ as the Messiah, Meant that the riches of the gospel went to the world, the world now, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their fullness bring? What makes us full? Faith in Christ. When the Jewish people turn to Him, this is going to bring greater riches, greater celebration of the inbreaking grace of God in our lives. Look at verse 13. I'm talking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. He's not even hopeful that he can save the nation entirely, but save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? In other words, their rejecting of the gospel meant the gospel, the message of reconciliation went out to the whole world. It wasn't just a little Jewish message, a kind of in-house opportunity. It meant the gospel broke out and went to the world. What will their acceptance of the gospel and Christ being the Messiah mean? But life from the dead. The point we're observing here is that at a a time in history when the Jewish people turned to Christ in significant numbers and, and started receiving him as their savior, at that point you must fasten your seatbelt, the resurrection, the return, the eschaton is about to break out upon us. It's so exciting for us to see the gospel making more and more clear inroads amongst Israeli people. By the way, we, there are churches in Israel and churches in Palestinian territories. So when we say we support the war or support this or that faction, we, <coughs> we, we've got to be careful we're not also just killing each other. Huh? Um, the Joshua Project uh, gave some statistics that says that 97% of Israel is still considered unreached. 97%. I did hear of a group of about 40, 40 rabbis in, in Jerusalem that have come to regeneration, to born again experience of Christ and are secretly holding on to that. Uh, it's an underground movement of, of the gospel in these people's lives. What a, what a wonderful anticipation for us. Eh? Sometime it's going to break out and, um, and we're going to see the significance of that as... Those who've lived with the signs of the gospel, all the festivals and, and, and signs uh, that Colossians 2 says point towards the gospel. When they actually see the gospel for who, for who he is, that'll be transformative. And Paul says in Colossians 2, uh, don't settle for the signs, even the signs of different regulations and expectations. Settle for the, the substance that is in Christ, that's Colossians 2. And he said he, he overcame everything else by the cross yeah he triumphed at the cross so the gospel is the answer uh as i said 97 percent of israel is considered unreached uh, in spite of their religious spirit and 99 percent of of palestinians living in gaza and the west bank are considered unreached but there is a percentage of those that have turned to the lord so we're given four things violence is evil Israel has a right to exist. Palestine it, Palestinians have a right to exist. And the gospel has the answer. We need to live it in such a way that others are provoked to envy with that. And the fifth thing we can do, we can pray with hope, with compassion, with intensity. And what are we going to pray for? Let me give you a few things we can be praying for. We can pray for the turning of hearts towards the gospel, the veil to be lifted. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So we pray that faith would rise. Secondly, we pray for honest leaders that would take humanitarian causes uh, into focus when they're dealing with with each other and recognition um, that uh, my liberty is not complete while you're still in bondage. I need to be working for mutual liberty. Uh, We need to be also praying for the one body of Christ to embody the future. We must be the presence of the future. Isn't it amazing how God takes divergent viewpoints and people with such diversity and brings us together into, I mean, just look around. Aren't you amazed at the people sitting around you? They're so different from you, huh? I mean, you think I'm glad. <laughs> glad they're different. But the diversity is, is actually an enriching thing, not a threatening thing for us. If we can exercise that with the same humility that the scriptures have encouraged us. And then the fourth thing we can pray for is just for the kingdom to come. Maranatha, Lord, come, let's release your kingdom amongst us and, and help us to pursue truth more than our own opinions of it. One evidence of a right perspective um, that uh, would help us to move in the right direction is if we, we learn to, to love the church. And I find that uh, oftentimes those who, who move into extreme Zionism uh, actually lose their love for the church. It's a, an observation. And don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. We need to love the Jewish people. We need to love the Islamic people. We need to love people that don't know Christ and lead them to salvation, lead them to know him. And the best way we can do that, because Jesus said so, huh? by this love shall all men know that you're my disciples. We need to be exercising that together in our, in our unity, uh, in our diversity. And so this will res- result in us seeking that uh, m- moderated thinkers, would it was um, and, um, and there would be a willingness for all to turn to, to God. Let me just take you to Romans chapter 2. There's another very helpful little scripture, Romans 2 verse 9, uh, that uh, puts us in perspective, 9 through 11, and then verse 28. Um, <clears throat> there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. He doesn't favor one over the other. We must be very clear. The way of salvation, no man comes to the Father but by me, said Jesus. Your ethnicity does not save you. Your cultural practices do not save you. It's your faith in Christ. And in verse 28, he goes on and says, A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. So it's not about those outward observances. It's about a heart that's living in relationship with God. That's what really counts. Um, so we, we talk about discernment and ethics. So Let, let me zoom in on, on that. And, and why, do I, why do I want to speak about that today? Well, besides the Middle East and its troubles, there, there are a number of things that are prevalent amongst us in these days, not only this church but churches around, around the, this country and around the, the globe, Uh, that uh, we can observe and practices in our lifestyles that um, we really need to take a fresh look at and discern. I've seen people's marriages break down because of a style of parenting that becomes untenable when permissive parenting or child-centered parenting comes into the focus. The pressure that it results uh, because of the fact that the child becomes the center of that universe, has destroyed marriages. And that's something we need to have discernment about and receive it. So I think Gavin and Karen's teaching on parenting is spot on. We need to have more of that. Watch out for permissive parenting. Xenophobia. These that a phobia? This is not just a, a political issue. This is a, an issue of broken hearts, of, of prejudice that we've allowed to linger in us. Um, another one that's been big, it seems like an increasing measure in these days, is, is sexual promiscuity. Uh, and consensuality seems to be the only issue. As long as you both agree, it doesn't matter about covenant. But God designed sex to be inside of marriage. Uh, and 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 so if you want to have sex, then be married. And if you allow sexual experience prior to marriage or outside of marriage, you take away at least one of the many many uh, motivational factors for marriage. And I, I say to people who do that, you you sold yourself short. Because if you're now destroying the one thing that will give you a foundation for going forward. On the same, By the same token, marriages that are still legally contracted but are living like a pieces of hell on earth. I say, God didn't intend us to observe marriage as a legalistic observance. He meant us to have a marriage that is intrinsically committed to the best for the other person. Um, and I've, for a sake, you heard it said that. Uh, Well, we might fight like cats and dogs, but at least we're still married. Well, how about learning to fight differently? How about fighting constructively? eh? There is such a thing as a constructive engagement. eh? How many of you have ever had a constructive engagement in a relationship? You know what I'm talking about? Just wink at me. Don't put your hand up. (laughs) Too late. But you do need to think about uh, these things. Um, uh, We we see people uh, um, remaining in immaturity, and that's what Hebrews is actually speaking about here, um, because, of the, because of the easy uh, access to offenses and the sense of entitlement that the world should operate in a way that pleases you. Maybe God wants to shake you up a bit. Maybe God wants to put you with something that's going to challenge you and cause you to uh, get a bit bigger than what you were and overcome that offense and grow as a result of that. Um, Another thing relating to relationships also is, is just being unequally yoked. The Bible is very clear about things like that. A believer and a non-believer should, should not think that they could have a marriage. Um, and you don't intentionally engage that if one becomes married, or if one becomes a believer inside the marriage and the other one remains a non-believer, the scripture speaks of the non-believer having the prerogative to ask for for divorce. Because you got married on the basis of, let's say, pagan cultural values, and now one's become a believer and he wants to or he or she wants to live in a particular way, and you, you didn't want that, you didn't sign up for that, you signed up for a different pattern, uh, you're free to, to walk away. But if they'll live with you, then stay in the marriage, and stay in such a way that you carry light and carry hope and uh, integrity towards that other partner. So I hope that makes make sense to you. It's just some of the common things that we're dealing with. But there are also religious things that we need discernment about. Um, Years ago, I was very challenged from the first time I experienced the Holy Spirit. Uh, God gave me a love for the Word. That's amongst a few other things that happened at that time, a love for Scripture. And so as I began to search the Scripture, I became aware that uh, there were some practices even in church um, that were destructive for the full experience of the Gospel. And one of those was was infant baptism. And I became so sure about that that uh, I was actually asked eventually to leave that denomination because they, it was clear after six weeks of in, theological inquiry and interrogation that my view was, was thought through and clear. And there were others that year on year before me had also, uh, some of my friends had a, a few of them had, had a similar conviction. Um, but we, we've seen the, uh, the, the, the damage done at, as it brings about a nominal membership just because you get your baby done. As I used to phone me and say, I think this phone calls me. Hey, Revenue, and they'd phone me up and <laughs> say, Will you do my baby? I say, well, first of all, I don't work for the receiver of revenue, so. Um, but uh, how do you want the baby done? Well done, medium roast, or. Uh, I'll make a joke of it, but really it was a, the fact is that um, we all for parents committing themselves, being grateful for the child, and committing themselves to Christian parenting, and asking the community to help them. That's what we do. We call it dedication. It's not a biblical uh, uh, pattern. But the biblical truth is in there that, that parents should be committed and parents should need to be, be supported, etc. So we, we commit to the principle of the thing that the practice might vary. Uh, but what you don't want is to use a sign for something that hasn't got substance to it. Baptizing somebody who's not got faith. or well, we don't know if he's got faith and that baby can't talk to you yet. But when the baby can confess Christ according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, then we'll baptize. And it's not about age. I've told you guys before, the youngest believer I ever met was three years old. And she was so radical in her faith, she led her, but if effectively led her father, who was the headmaster of a huge Cape Town school, led him to the Lord from a three-year-old child. So it's not about age, it's about faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Amen. So infant baptism has been a real issue. We needed discernment about that. And I remember walking on the beach and saying, Lord, have I got this right? Is there any other way that I should be singing that I'm not? And we anyway, went on to one of the elderly... Um, ministers of that denomination eventually came back to me a couple, just a few years ago, about forty years after the event, and and, and on behalf of as, as far as he could of the organisation apologised for for the position they had taken a, a, against us. Um, it, it turns out we're not quite as bad skabangers as I thought we were. We've we've gone on and done something something good. So, infant baptism. What about clericalism? Is another thing that prevails in churches, which is a clergy laity distinction. Um, we jokingly say my brothers you know they're good for nothing Uh, I'm good I'm paid to be good they're good for nothing you know but it's not quite like that but clericalism does indicate that there's a distinction between the clergy the Levitical priesthood and the the laity of God's people it's just not biblical truth because in the vineyard we say we all get to play we all get to play there's no separation Mariology and any any kind of faith that requires a, a mediator uh, so we don't pray through Mary, we don't pray through the saints, we don't get involved in any kind of ancestral uh, mediation at all. Uh, and wherever that is allowed in, in ZCC top churches, Shembe churches, this is wrong. This is wrong. We need to have the courage to say so. Uh, and if you if you want to slaughter a goat to try and appease your ancestors, uh, this is wrong. This is this is despising uh, the. What Christ did, because on the day he died, the curtain in the temple divides the inner innermost place from the outer, was torn from the top to the bottom. God tore it, and we could all go in. We don't need a mediator. There's only one mediator, even Christ Jesus. That's what Hebrew says. One mediator. <clears throat> I think another huge thing that's prevailing in many churches that we need discernment about is Gnostic spirituality, which is not involved with testing in any collaborative way with your guidance but you hear from God and you, and you declare it and if someone says God told me what do you, how can you stop that? I accept it, they have a spirit of collaboration. They say I, I think I've heard from God. What do you think? Is this right? Am I missing something here? And if you can, because Colossians 3.15 which says let the peace that God gives, let the peace of Christ rule in, in, in your hearts in the decisions you make and he's, he's writing there about a plural you will you all plural Discern it together, is what he's saying. So when you hear a word, make sure that it's open for testing, lest you become gnostically deceived in some kind of hotline guidance. And we've seen atrocities develop around that, where people have felt led to do things that have been deeply destructive in churches. I think another, another one that I would like to just mention as part of our discernment and ethics question in terms of churches is an overplay of accountability. We want to keep people walking the right way, behaving right, by the strength and the intensity of our accountability. I just don't think that's good enough. I think that's like the accountability of the law being imposed. We need to make sure that people obey because of inspiration, not obligation, if that makes sense. I mean, how many people are married in this place? Aren't you glad that your spouse is faithful to you? Are you glad? And Aren't you glad they're faithful to you? Because they want to be, not because they're afraid of what you're going to do to them. If huh? You really want their love for you, their admiration, their, their appreciation of who you are, their affection they feel for you, those goosebumps and you walk in the door. And they just, uh, oh man, it's going to wait to be with you. You want that to be the inspiration of their fidelity, isn't that right? Not, you don't know what I'm going to do, you ever... Huh? <laughs> But God's the same. He wants us to have, God's a lover, not a bully. God's a lover and he wants to woo us into walking with him. And so that's why we talk about this, Ezekiel talks about this, this um, heart change. It takes away the heart of stone, hey? Jeremiah says the same thing. It gives us a heart of flesh. It changes us from the inside out. So We need to be the kind of church that has people amongst us whose behavior is still not right but who, by the grace of God, that Colossians says, teaches us to say no to to ungodliness. The grace of God. As they experience more and more of the grace of God, they say, what an idiot I've been to go cavorting around in this or that way. I mean, I know some of you work in rehab centers, but you'll know how hard it is to have someone change because of the outward pressure you impose. As as well-meaning as it might be in our tough love applications, some of us have been there. But tough love won't change the heart. It might protect others who have been affected by the waywardness of the skabanga. But it doesn't change the person. The person's want to has to be awakened, inspired. And God leads us by inspiration. That's what he does. Oh, man. And uh, so maybe just one more because I, I, I meet people constantly who are being hurt by patriarchy. And churches that are still practicing leadership being male are are practicing a a destructive evil. Leadership is a gift. It's not a gender. Leadership is what God has gifted you to to be and do. It's a function you can fulfill. If you claim it otherwise, and and that's not to encourage passive masculinity. In fact, let's just go straight to Genesis 3 where it says Adam was present but silent. He said nothing when Eve was was exercising the battle. Bearing in mind that the first two chapters of the Bible, Adam and Eve were made in a partnership to rule together. But then one side of the partnership was silent when he should have spoken up and said, Wait, sweetie, that's not what we're going to do. eh? Don't you remember what the Lord said? This is not the tree. We've got to eat from the other one, not this one. But he didn't. He was silent and half seduced him by his own silence. (laughs) Uh, by the snake and and end up with uh, sin coming in. So we we really are opposing passive masculinity. I think it's atrocious when men don't rise up in the fullness of all they, they can bring to their homes. And fatherlessness is the number one cause of criminality in our nations. I don't know if you realize that. There's a huge move in our, in our in South Africa right now, too, where they're calling for, for people to pick up a, and father those that are fatherless and adopt, at least in a, an influential way, people that, that need to be fathered. And many of us have lived poorly because of uh, rotten father experiences, passive fathers, permissive fathers, punitive fathers, fathers that have not been present to us, eh? absent um, and, and his, his love and affection, I, mean, I, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced the, the loving embrace of a father. I remember when I was in the military and on the troop train going up uh, up into the north, um, <clears throat> we'd stop at these little sided stations and guys would get on the train from, from the different farms and the free state. And, that. and I'd never seen it because I didn't, it wasn't part of my culture where a, a big burly free state millie farmer uh, took his son and, and kissed him. Uh, that didn't happen in my culture. If my father ever kissed me, I would have run a mile. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? But I, I thought, I've never forgotten it. It happened like uh, about 150 years ago or something like that. Uh, I've never forgotten it because I thought, David, get over your cultural limitations. If that's way that their father can tell his son, boy, you must never forget. You're going off to a world of all kinds of things in the military, but I love you. Now, I don't think we've all got to learn how to kiss our sons. but we do need to find ways that are meaningfully expressive of the affection. Father's love is so important. I hope it makes sense. Okay, let let me land this now. There are three ways in which you can do what Hebrews 5.14 says, three ways in which you can develop a good ethical discernment. This is what you can do to become more ethically discerning. And sometimes it can be exhausting, huh? So it's an exercise. He says, you've got to exercise. How many of you get out of breath when you exercise, eh? You know what I'm saying? And your soul can get out of breath. And sometimes I feel like, I mean, just yesterday I was worrying about so many things and thinking about it, and Colleen's offered to pray for me. I was so grateful. And this a praying wife is a great gift, eh, hey guys? She prayed for me, and my spirit just calmed down, uh, and it was very helpful. So I think we need to think about this, that we do it better together. But here's the three ways that we can exercise a a growth in ethical discernment. Number one, walk with God. Walk with him. Do life in friendship and conversation with him. Genesis 1 and 2, they they walked together. In chapter 3, after sin had come and they were told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, from that time on, um, they were hidden. They, they, their shame came on them. They made fig leaf clothing. They fled away. And when, when God came in the cool of the evening, where they used to walk together, and God is calling, "Where are you guys?" It was God who was asking for them. They were hidden. They had hidden their sin their, their sin. their lack of discernment had caused them to run away from their walk with God. Um, and Romans twelve says that if we we focus on Him and we make Him our priority, He says, "Then you will know what the." pleasing will of the Lord is. It's surrender, it's yielding. that it leads to wisdom. So when you walk with him, uh, you find that. In Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, just look at that if you've never seen this, how the, how the story ends, guys, so it's good to, to sometimes get a preview of that. The angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flame from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. It's no longer the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of life. They were eating from the wrong tree. Tree where they had controls. Now it's not. It's now the tree of relationship. Tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit. Yielding his fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is Israel's hope. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face. There's this intimacy, this walking with him. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Be, uh, they will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We, when we walk with God, develop the capacity to walk with God. Meet him. Say, hello, Lord, good to see you this morning again. How are you doing? Huh? Engage with him. Journal it. Read the, I always say, if you don't know how to have a quiet time, just start with Psalms. Read Psalm one and read John one, and just start with Psalms and John. Psalms and John. It's a great start-up recipe to get you going for a walk with God. The second thing that'll help you to develop, help us all to develop good ethical discernment, is our intentionality. Pursue truth. Learn to love truth more than your own opinion. I used to say, uh, we don't have to agree. You you don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong if you want to. (laughs) I don't say that anymore. I've learned how many of you have been divorced, and you think when you walk in, you've got all the answers. Why are you you wasting it? Why am I wasting my time in this place? But by the time you get to the third or fourth year, you realize what the questions are. Sometimes in our arrogance, we think we've we've got the monopoly on the truth, and we don't. We don't. We, we need to be dialogical, and we need to be intentional about pursuing truth. And if you have an opinion about something, find someone else that you can let iron shop and iron with and test it out. Is that, is that true? Is that valid? Is it that, is that legit? What am I missing here? And uh, Hebrews 5.14 is all about that. And Ephesians 5.10, so it's a lovely little verse. This is a good one for the fridge this week. It's a nice little short verse. Find out what pleases the Lord. That's a great verse, Ephesians 5.10. Find out what pleases the Lord. Be intentional about it. He, he's, he's giving you an instruction. Uh, be intentional. Find out what please, Lord. Paul says. There's one thing I do, Philippians 3, eh? there's one thing I do. I, I want to press into this so and lay hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me and learn to love what he loves. Eh? Even as a contrary to your natural bent, let the Lord teach you to expand your, your scope. And so we have to walk with God and be intentional. About pursuing truth because truth will set you free. And uh, you know if you see in the coffee shop there's pictures of the baptisms the first baptisms we did, came back to the infant baptism story. Uh, Steve, you remember that I have your pictures up there too you, Collins. those are the first baptisms we did after we were released from our obligation under the system we were part of and we'd come out. And I can't tell you uh, the freedom we felt just to be simple Bible believing Christians. A wonderful sense of this is it, just like on the shores of Galilee. We just felt like God was doing something fresh amongst us, and ongoingly so. By the way, if you've never been baptized, there's water outside. We can do it. Eh? We can do it. I'm looking forward to we're going to open that thing up soon again and have a whole lot of people getting baptized. It's a wonderful thing. So here's the third thing that will help us to develop good ethical discernment. Trust God more than your opinion. Trust God. That faith comes. Um, faith is a prelude to wisdom. Eh? Faith opens the way to wisdom. Uh, uh, the Augustine and the early theologians used to say, "Credo ut intelligam," I believe so that I may understand. You don't understand first, and then you believe. You believe, and then you come to understanding, and your understanding deepens and deepens and deepens and broadens eh? as we go along. So trust God more than your, your own opinion and in particular and just swing over to, to Romans chapter 14 there's a, an interesting passage because there was a dispute in the church in Rome at this time and Paul was trying to bring some correction and adjustment to it and this may pre- prevail even now when we think about the diversity across this room on the Middle East issue <clears throat> Romans 14 is an interesting and you can read the whole chapter, it's, the whole thing describes it but pick up at verse 13 Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced. As a Christian now, he says, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. So this is his own personal conviction. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. So allow latitude. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us therefore make every effort, verse 19, to do what what leads to peace and to mutual Edification. do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or your own opinion about it. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. <clears throat> so we could go on exploring in the application of that. And Peter had such a time in Acts chapter 10. He uh, when God spoke to Cornelius and then God spoke to Peter separately and brought them together. But the way he spoke to Peter was showing him a, a sheet. Now being a good, a good Jewish man, the sheet was full of all sorts of unclean animals. You can read about it in Acts chapter 10, uh, reptiles and things. There's no, no way that a good Jewish guy wants eat those things. And Peter says, when the Lord says, kill and eat, he says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Can't you just check? This is not going to be good. Uh, and, and the Lord says to him, don't you call bad what I call good. And he challenged his opinion. Challenge even his religious opinion that had been groomed over, over generations and, uh, and got him to rethink it. And that opened the way for Peter just to begin to move into uh, the delivery of the gospel to Gentile people. So if I, if I land this just to say it's really all about Jesus and he's the one who said that no one comes to the Father but by me. Amen. I hope that's helpful guys. So just to remember, walk with Jesus, develop that, that intimacy of walk, be intentional about pursuing truth and uh, learn to believe. Learn to believe even when you can't see it. You can't understand it. And let him show you and open the doors for you. it would be amazing. And as I say, one of the things that struck me profoundly after my experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit in 1973 was a fresh love for the word, for the scriptures. Eh? It's something very powerful and, and, uh, and restorative when God speaks it and you correctly discern it and, and applic- applicate it in your life. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> It's good to just stand before the Lord and just let the Holy Spirit come. Jesus, come, Lord, and help us to respond to you, in touch with you. Anything that you're wanting to say to us? One of the biggest phenomena we're having to contend with, and I think this will be true for many of us, is uh, um, anxiety that comes at us, eh? and uh, it can develop uh, broken sleep patterns in our lives as well. The Lord wants to help us with that. How many of you have ever, I mean, I've, I've been through those times, how many of you have ever had broken sleep because of something that's preoccupying your mind? Anyone, ever, anyone else know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I want to pray that God will break the... The destructive patterns of anxiety that keep us preoccupied. I used to I'm so glad God's been delivering I'm far more present now than you think I am <laughs> but there was a time when I would be physically present but emotionally absent far more than I, I am in these days because God's love is ongoingly bringing healing in my life, ongoingly I pray the same for all of you, eh? God will just keep moving us forward in his revelation of his love it's a revelation, eh we need to receive that revelation, yield to it, and build our lives on what we, what we find there. Coral, the Lord is on you. Why don't you just come here? You mind coming out here? Some of you guys that know Coral, why don't you just come stand with him? I don't want you to stand alone. Some of you who know Coral walk with him, you know some of his life. You just feel like God wants to do a fresh work in your life at this time. It's like you've been through a very difficult season. You know, the Lord wants to uh, bring about a deep healing in you. It'll change your trajectory of life because your insides are changed. So, Father, we just pray for Carl right now to open his mind and his heart to receive the things that you want his seed into him. <clears throat> All the fears that have been there, the drivenness, things that have been fixated. Pray for a clean slate of teachability to receive from you. Pray for a fresh love of your presence and uh, open eyes to see the wonderful truths of your word and how you would speak to him about fresh identity, not just about him, but Lord, about who you are. Pray that he'd come to fresh encounters with you and out of that encounter with you, there would be fresh self-perception. And that he will to lead his family in a way that would give so much life and restoration. To do that, Lord. Bless this man. You guys just keep praying for him. Just bless him as the Lord would lead you. I just feel like God wants to help a couple of people in, in particular um, today. <clears throat> we really are grateful, Lord, for your presence here. That you, you're here amongst us to do your wonderful things. Creven and and you guys are on a journey with God. And, and I feel like the Lord has just said to you, don't be in a hurry. Take it step by step. You're moving in, the, in a good trajectory. But take it step by step. Don't hurry, God. God has greater things for you than what could come from a tree that just grows up too quickly. The best wood in the world comes from trees that are grown slowly. That can weather the storms. And God's taking you through a testing time. And this, is going to, this is going to be formative for you. And I believe his word to you slowly and thoroughly. Thank you, Lord. Would don't you just step over here? I want some of you guys who want to just come pray for, for, for Creven and, and uh, Charlene. Come here, if some of you like, just come and pray over them, massaging them, what God is saying. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Doing. you for your presence in this place Lord right now thank you Lord mm. how many of you have ever experienced burnout like if you have worked so hard at something season has taken you so long how many of you have ever, ever had a burnout moment huh? Yeah, yeah. let me sure. if you had burnout in the past and you're remembering it very acutely or maybe you're in it even now and you're feeling like it's, you're on the edge of it, I have those moments. So It's not, you're not, like a, it's not an evil thing. It's just this is, this is our life reality. I'd love, I'd love for us to soak you in grace today. If you've been in burnout in times past, and you'd like to just come and surrender that to God, ask Him to give you wisdom, why don't you just step forward and come stand around here for those that have experienced burnout, or maybe you're in it right now, or, or it's just history for you, but you'd like to just surrender it to the Lord. Come and join me here in the front. We're going to pray over you as well. Come and join us. Alison, come and pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in your people today. I think that your purpose is to heal us and give us resilience. And in the hard times, the hard times, the Lord, will say this to you, the hard times, uh, if you surrender the, to, to God, will make you strong. The hard times are shaping. The hard times are are very, very important with God because when we are weak, then He is strong. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see heaven in your frailty. When you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you don't know where to go from here, the Lord would say to you, this is precisely where I need you to be. Just the time you're calling me, Jeremiah 33.3, as I say, it's God's telephone number. Jeremiah 33.3, 3, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and wonderful things that you do not know. God answers his phone. Call on him. He will answer you. He will answer you. So I want to pray that God will just soak you in his grace and his mercy in the season of pressure, threatening burnout. Some of your circumstances are beyond words, but God wants to do something very, very powerful. It's very significant. And we bless you. Church, reach out your hands towards these people. Let's just speak. Favour and blessing upon them. The blessing of God gives favor and he adds no sorrow. It makes rich and empowers us and he adds no sorrow. The Lord wants in you to have an expectation of good. We take away from you right now, we take away from your life an expectation of collapse, of destruction. You will not you will not destroy. Some of you like to come and pray with them now. That'll be great. Just come stand in front of them. And just bless them. Would you mind doing that? That's it. Stand in front of them so they can hear what you pray. Just bless them. <clears throat> I also did feel like uh, the Lord wants to pour His blessing on people that are in a position of needing much more wisdom than you feel capable of. You're having to make some big decisions, figure something out, and it's just beyond you. And there's stuff going down that you don't know what to do with. If that's you, why don't you come and join me on on my right-hand side, your left-hand side. You want to pray for uh, a release of wisdom in your life. There's stuff that you have to think about, you have to decide, you don't know what to do. Just come and stand here with Gary and others that will join him. here. Come and stand here. Maybe it's about a job, maybe it's about a circumstance that you're having to contend with. You just don't know what to do. There's someone here that's even considering immigration. You don't know whether you should or you shouldn't. Uh, and, and whether you should stay on in South Africa or is the whole place going to burn or what's going down I want you to come and join us here we're going to pray that God will give divine revelation the Bible says ask of me if you lack wisdom ask of me and I'll give liberally says the Lord I'll give liberally but I'll also stir you up to believe what I'm giving you so Father we just pray right now in Jesus name for these brothers and sisters that are standing here asking for wisdom some are standing here saying Lord this career this career needs adjustment needs to change. I don't want to keep doing what I've always done. Would you put your hands out in front of you just as an act of surrender and receiving. So Father, I pray for these brothers and these sisters right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would see their hearts, cleanse them of any misconceptions, any wrong thoughts and patterns that have been destructive for them. And Lord, would you right now as you cleanse that out, bring fresh furniture into the, uh, into the furnishings of their mind. Bring understanding of things that would become s- sense, direction, restorative? Would you, would you give them a capacity to break out of past patterns, ruts they've been thinking in? You've been stuck in a rut. The Lord is saying it's time to break free from the ruts. I am the God of Abraham whom, for whom I said, leave where you were. Leave your father and your mother. Go to a place that I will yet show you, but just start going. And in the going, I will direct you, says the Lord, like he did for Abraham. You are the as sons and daughters of God by faith. You walk in the same legacy of Abraham, legacy of faith. So we bless you with increasing faith. God says to you, I am trustworthy. You can believe me. You can trust me. You can lean on me. I will not forsake. A, a bruised reed I will not break. God's just wanting to impart to you a strength that as you trust Him, He becomes your strength. If anyone would like to come and just join these... Come and pray for these guys. Come and join me. Here. Some of you guys in the back there come over and Keith come bring some guys with you. Some of your grace come and pray for these people. Would you come and join you? Just stay in that place of waiting and let some lay hands on you, pray for you, prophesy, see what God will bring into your life as well. <clears throat> I still I feel like God is stirring me up to be praying for people that have um, struggled with, with uh, being displaced. You're not living in the place where you were raised and you're in a foreign nation. Uh, you feel like displaced, and this is a, not a settled thing for you, and there's some level, level of, of strain because of that, and you really want us to continue praying. I want to pray for you guys, in Israel, I know God is on you as well. You, you can come and join me. Come and join Israel. Yeah, Israel will help pray for people that, that are in a displaced situation, especially from Zimbabwe and Malawi and Congo, uh, some of these nations hard to be a refugee, economic refugee. Just come and join us here. Israel, come send up here. You can pray. Come and join us by Israel. He's going to pray for you guys as well. Come, come through to the frontier. Anyone else need prayer for your circumstance to be opened up for a way maybe your permits are all messed up and it's just you're not sure about that ZEP and all the stuff that's going down about the permits and home affairs is such a mess. So Father, we pray that you go before these people. You make a way. Lord, would you make a way for each one of these people. Lord, we pray that you comfort their hearts and secure their futures. Help them with the family, especially where the family is divided now because some kids are on the other side or some loved ones on the other side of the border. Okay, pray for this brother aren't you? And we speak God's blessing on you. We speak God's sovereignty over your situation. God is greater than home affairs. God can make a way where there hasn't been a way up to now. And it won't be by corruption. It won't be by bribery. But by the intervention of God. So we bless you. We bless you. Receive the blessing of God this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just wanted to others would like us to pray for before we break it all up. But if you need to go, you're welcome to do that. Nicola, I know you're busy talking to Shani, but we want to pray for you. Lyle and Tash, come here. I want you to pray for Nikkela. Would you come? In? I just want you to pray. I feel, I feel like God is wanting to affirm something in your life that you've often felt overlooked. But this is the time that God is preparing you and the time for you to rise. Rise beyond what you've known. I want these two to pray for you. Can you do that? time to rise, time to rise. Bless what you're doing, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You want to go and have some tea and coffee, you're welcome to do that. If you're visiting us, please let me shy to go and take a slip at the